0: I'm Chase, and you're listening to The Angry Millennial. And I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm in this room or what they just fed me, but you're listening to The Angry Millennial. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, guys. Who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers, All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now, guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at ClickGearClothingLTD. What's going on, AM Nation? And welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle the good, the bad, the ugly. Today we have on cinematographer Andreas Von Scheele. Andreas, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So I know for some people who don't know, uh, it's great to get to know you better. We had our interview for Chimera Lighting. Um, So I guess let's kind of start off there. Uh, How'd you get on their radar? So I'm
1: very lucky to be to have a really great relationship with my camera and equipment rental house mm-hmm. and um they also sell a bunch of equipment and uh and so they you know uh, put me forward to Chimera as uh, as a big fan of their wonderful products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, that's how Chimera got in touch with me and, uh, and, you know, I, I highly recommend k camera if you're in New York city for some, some really good hands-on rental stuff.
0: Awesome. Nice. Nice. Uh, so speaking of big company radars, we actually just got back uh, from WPPI in Vegas and we worked a lot with some of the people um, who do PR for Canon, uh, which were all amazingly helpful and supportive uh, of the show while we were out there. So it was great. And I noticed that um, when we spoke last time, you had done a little bit of speaking at the NAB panel uh, under indie filmmaking. Uh, and speaking of which, I believe there's going to be uh, they're going to be in New York City later this year, right? The NAB in November.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Okay, great. So maybe we'll have to uh, check check that out. So tell us a bit about how that how that was and, and how it was working. Uh, you know, with on the Canon panel on indie filmmaking.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, first of all, Canon—they really are. They're just so generous, so supportive, and so involved in in the filmmaking community. And uh, I was—I've gone to NAB to speak at their panels twice now. Uh, The first time was on optics, which was uh, like—it was such an honor, just because they—they make the most incredible lenses. And then uh, last year it was the indie filmmaking panel um, and that was really raucous because indie filmmaking is crazy. Oh, yeah and um and you know it's just they're just so great at bringing people together and um i'm constantly in a dialogue with uh their uh, marketing uh team mm-hmm. and in particular how i got involved with them is that they have a um they have a program where you can you could submit your project to them and uh you know if they they dig it they'll they'll lend you the camera and lenses for that project for the duration nice. of your project nice. And uh, so I've, I've been, I've done that uh, twice now. They've been generously uh, generous uh, for two, two films. Um, one, which was called All Relative that's on uh, Netflix and, and then recently a film called Beach House, which is uh, in post-production right now.
0: Oh, nice. All right. So a couple things. Um, I think when I think of like indie filmmaking, I remember for me as a, I guess a lay person, if you will, I remember the biggest, I thought was the coolest thing where the industry started taking notice was when uh what was it they filmed a whole episode of house with a 5d mark ii
1: i absolutely remember that yeah
0: and i remember everyone being like no way and you're like yeah look at look at the crazy you know and i think they were i mean you probably would know they were still using film like film type lenses right with adapters and stuff like that because the aperture they were getting was absolutely insane
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I remember on house that they were actually using a bunch of cinema lenses as well. Um, There was talk of the the 200 millimeter as being a really wonderful sort of action lens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, you know, so I I think that I think that's the the sort of great point of using digital SLRs and and actually using any uh, EF mount. Video camera is that you can you have access to all these really great lenses that are a hundred percent cheaper, and not a hundred percent cheaper, but it you know three it's a, a yeah, pl you got, you got it right <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's like three hundred dollars versus thirty dollars yeah, yeah um you know and it's you know is is the the person you know is the user the viewer are they noticing the difference probably not I'm right. I'm sure the first AC is going crazy because he, <laughs> he can't focus but right. um now that now that those cameras or those lenses are now autofocus so
0: yeah, you know that
1: that's an interesting thing.
0: It is, and and you said it. I mean, for for a lot of people, when I and this is me just uh, kind of swinging in, in, in air, or you can convince me or uh, confirm that I would tell people this is the why for the longest time movies were so expensive to make it was because everything costs so much money that all you're doing is renting everyone's time. Either you're renting the gear and you're paying day rates for people to come on and and be part of a movie and being made, and then you know, that that the really the people who maybe possibly only owned the um the equipment was maybe the studio. But even then it was it was probably just all rented too. And then we and then came along the digital revolution, came along, like you said, uh DSLRs that were able to do video, uh, that suddenly opened up a whole new door where you could say, okay, we could spend the same amount of money to rent um, you know, this couple of rigs, right? or we could spend that same amount of money and get like 15 cameras and a bunch of lenses to get a little more creative with the way a film is shot.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that it, it definitely opened up doors and and the, the first film that I first feature film that I DP'd narrative film was uh, was called The Pill and uh we we did just that. We got two uh 5Ds. And uh, a set of EF lenses. And, uh, and, you know, it, it just worked incredibly well. Uh, and I've even shot documentaries on digital SLRs and, um, it lowers your cost. It lowers your, uh, visibility and, uh, you can really get amazing work. And when it, when, when you're really, when something needs to be intimate, uh, it, it actually creates a wonderful vibe on set because you're, you're also, um, getting rid of like seven or eight people. Um so it's it's much more chill. Um, you know, that said, um it's it's also created a very strange environment in the independent film world where you have all these hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollar films being made and it's really saturated everything to the point where it's incredibly competitive um and also not sustainable because like you can work on one film for you know hundred a hundred and fifty dollars a day, but the second time someone asks you to do that you're you, you know you really can't because you can't pay your your rent and and that's true of like the directors and the writers and so it's a it's a strange place now where um it's really kind of this you know, everyone's doing their first film and then it's really hard to sort of get to that next place. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, I can say as a photographer that it was a very similar transition, you know, uh, that you say, okay, I, with the, with the uh, advent of digital photography, it was a very similar thing that it took what was for a long time a trade, just like any other, um, that the only people who had cameras were professional photographers because they were so expensive um, and you apprenticed in a way, you know, as working with other photographers and that kind of thing before you got your own feet wet. But now, uh, you anyone can pick up a camera and and overnight just say, yeah, I'm going to be a photographer. And it's it's kind of the good and the bad of it is that it it shakes up the industry of of long standing working professionals, um, and it also just opens up a whole new avenue of, of different ways of looking at things. I mean, you have some people now. Uh, take the phone that are Instagram photographer famous. And they mm-hmm. literally just use a phone to shoot and are making money on social media and are making a living. And you sit there and say, well, holy shit, that wasn't even possible. Not even 10 years ago, you know? Um, so it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely interesting the way it, it changes the, you know, dynamic and it changes the way uh, established things have been done um, but let's let's go to that. So tell us again about how it all started. You know, were you always creative? Um, did photography come first? Like most people, like where you had the 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 stills that kind of got you into it, but then the video came next,
1: yeah. I, my first connection to creativity was always connected to the narrative, just telling stories and and because that was like where you you were just getting it from television or from books that you were reading. Um, and then for some reason, when I picked up a camera, I felt this enormous ability to, to tell a story much more effectively visual, visually, visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I just, there's something there's like an emotional connection to, to photography that I think is uh, that, that writing is, I don't know, it, it was, it just didn't come naturally mm-hmm. for me to find. So, so I really took to photography and in early high school, um I was the guy who was uh was you know was taking pictures all the time and going into the dark room, and I' get in a lot of trouble because we yeah. we got up into a lot of trouble and and uh, there were certain things that people probably there's a lot of things that I shouldn't have taken photographs <laughs> of <laughs> nice.
0: yeah, I'm like a lot of people come on the show and and they and even like my co-host Stevie always talks about uh their their antics when they were in high school. Uh, in the dark room and, and doing stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm lo- I'm looking around like always pissed off. Like, what the fuck? Like, I never got that. You know, I went to Catholic school. It was none of that. I mean, we had like maybe like a drawing class and that was about it. Uh, you know, and, and I always tell people like, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> but I didn't even pick up a camera until my senior year of college. Yeah,
1: I I totally miss the dark room. That was it's it's uh, and I'd hope one day to get back into uh, a relationship with uh, analog film again. Um, It really it's there's something magical about it.
0: No, I know you mentioned that. So like, let's just say for now, we've been talking about digital, uh, and someone who obviously has a very well known love affair uh, with film would be uh, Quentin Tarantino. Right, so he's still maybe it's because of digital or just the way he always was. He has this love affair with film, uh, and still mostly, from my knowledge, shoots a lot of his film, his, uh, his movies on film. Um, and I know his latest one, I still haven't seen it. Shit, um, Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. and that was shot on like a, a different, so like a very kind of not was it rare uh, that that kind of a film that he shot it on uh you know i don't, i
1: don't know anything about that i mean i know he's a a kodak guy um and and is you know big supporter of uh a film um you know from from my end that uh, you know i i don't think i think it's it's like digital and film for me are just like not one's not sort of better than the other they're just right. kind of have different different reasons they're there's different it's like digital is just like a different type of film mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's certain things that you, you know, and digital has come so far now though, that there's, there's things that you just can't do with film Mm -hmm. that you can, you can, you can get away with with digital. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're both just like great tools and, but I, 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 you know, my wife's from Rochester and, uh, that's where Kodak has their headquarters. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I just, you know, I, I love Kodak and I love the company and, and I, Excited about their their new Super 8 cameras, and they're trying to expedite the ability to develop that film and and, and use it uh, on projects. So, yeah. you know that, that's something that I think is wonderful, and it's it's I think it's the the you know the the interest in vinyl and, and the record industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's similar to to maybe the comeback of uh, of, of film.
0: Yeah, and I, I find that interesting that now they're doing so much because I I don't I don't shoot film unfortunately, but sometimes I wish I did because it's so many people are into. Um, just like the the industry behind it. I know that they a long time they they closed a lot of their plants. Um and and they were demoing them. I remember people were posting them online, like, oh man, like the last Kodak, you know, uh uh factory, you know, went down, that kind of thing. And then I see them doing a lot of stuff like this, and I go, I don't know, are they taking like did they take a step back to go forward or are they realizing in a PR state in a sense that it's kind of coming back alive? um so it's it's interesting to see you know what what they do in the next couple of years,
1: yeah yeah, i mean it, it seems like it's starting to to stabilize and it's you know not necessarily coming back but it's right. you know it's it's there right. as a you know slightly niche type of thing and, and you know it it's it's a tool in the industry,
0: yeah for sure, so as part of your logo there's a i notice there's a deer is that like <laughs> your creative spirit animal <laughs> you
1: know it, it's funny um it's my Family is Swedish, and oh, cool. yeah, and so my father has like a you know it's like a crest for his like mm-hmm. family, yeah. and it's it's like a it's a deer you know on a field of something or another, oh, nice. and and uh, so I, I just you know kind of grabbed that and sort of modernized it a little bit. Um,
0: oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think my a lion. <laughs> oh,
1: the lion. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's the the lion is um a little bit more fierce, like the deer is like so placid. But my um my my creative spiritual animal is probably the wolf. So I think it's kind of funny that you've got like these, you know, the deer and the, and the wolf is like sort of not exactly uh simpatico.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting. I, you, you said, I mean, I think of like people's crests, right? Remember there was a time if you're like a game of Thrones fan where that was like everything, you know, that was, you put that, that was like your personal brand. And I always feel like sometimes they should kind of bring that, bring that back, you know, <laughs> it would be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I've been working for for years uh, I, on a personal project that, that uh, on Lorenzo de Medici, mm-hmm. and uh, their um, crest was just like balls, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was like they they would cry like vive le pale. Yeah. like Long Live the Balls. <laughs> um, so I always thought that was like really great. Wouldn't really like yeah. adapt itself really well. No,
0: no, not not necessarily. And it's funny, like you talk about, they uh, they are literally there. It was balls, literally, but. I always think of um, like things that get lost in translation. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Know? And you sit there and say, okay, what, what something means in one language doesn't quite literally translate in other ones. And I remember I always thought when I was in uh, college, I was an advertising major. And one of the things we, we learned about was that, was the, the fear you should have when you go to an international market and just think you can kind of copy and paste your your kind of message all the way across. And two that always come up that are really interesting to me well, three actually, was uh, in, in South America. They Remember the Got Milk campaign?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It
0: was huge in the 90s. They, uh, they apparently just started putting that on billboards in South America and realized it, you know, it was asking people if they were lactating. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, ooh, that's not really a good, a good thing you want. And then another two were the Chevy Nova. Mm-hmm. When it was so popular in the States, they tried to sell it in, uh, in Latin America. It did really poorly and they couldn't figure out why. And then someone just goes, dude, the fucking car says, no it doesn't go. It like, <laughs> doesn't go. Yeah, yeah like why would, why would anyone want to buy that car? So that's when they kind of started rebranding uh, similar models in different countries, different things, you know. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And then the last one was, uh, I think it was Japan. They had, uh, I think it was like Huggies or one of the diaper companies um, started adapting a video story of the stork. And you know, just start dropping off the baby, and then all of a sudden you got the Pampers, and they didn't realize that culturally they, that we're the only country who kind of believes in that. So when you, <laughs> you see this Japanese right. culture going, the fuck is that huge bird bringing in a baby in, into our home? Like they, they just, <laughs> there was a huge disconnect, and it was like oh, that's hilarious. No, 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 you know. But um, so I mean, you mentioned some of the like the personal projects you do. Uh, So that's my next question is tell us a little bit about some of your documentary work. I mean, we have like, uh, I think it's Wakaliwood.
1: Yeah. Wakaliwood um, is, uh, was, I think it's probably one of my favorite projects to have worked on. And uh, this uh, producer, Ben Berenholtz that I'd worked with a couple of times and he's, he's the, he uh, produced uh, a lot of the early Coen brothers films. Oh, nice. And um, he's just a real lover of, uh, of cinema um, just a, a, a wonderful guy. And, uh, he called me and he said, you know, I, I've got this project in Uganda, um, and we're, we're going to shoot it in 10 days. Do you want to go? And so wow. I was like, yes, definitely. And, um, and so, you know, like a day later we were like, he's, he's 80 years old too. Oh wow! So, um, you know, we were like in a doctor's office, like getting our yellow fever shots and stuff. And, and, um, and, uh, it's, it's about these filmmakers in the slums of Uganda in a little neighborhood called Wakala Ganatete. And, uh, they, uh, it's just, it's like watching the birth of cinema. I mean, like the stuff they're doing, it's like they, they, they had to like reinvent everything. Right. Uh, and then they're, they're literally like making their tripods out of, uh, like car jacks. And, oh, um, wow. you know, it's like things are powered by, car batteries and mm. uh they're just they're building their computers from scratch mm. uh i mean they're not from they're not building chips but they're right. they're buying <laughs> Right. they're buying all the parts and like building their computers and, and and just dealing with like total intermittent electricity that like they'll they'll be editing a film and, and the power will go out for five days and they'll just right. have to like stop
0: yeah like the rolling brown and stuff like that
1: yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was just amazing. And, and, uh, it's just great to have an ongoing relationship with, uh, with the filmmakers there and just trying to support them. Uh, and, you know, cause it's a real, uh, just the skills that they're, they're, they're learning, you know, hopefully will, will translate into ways of creating income for them.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's something like we had, um, a, uh, designer on recently um, a woman by the name of Bella Shehu and she is from uh, Albania and she talks about how when she came over at 17 how different it was to be from a a communist country um, that she said but when she left so she left in 97 98 uh, and she was saying like even back then um, you still had to uh, dial zero to call anyone because you mm-hmm. still had the operator using the switchboard uh to call people.
1: all right That's amazing.
0: And, yeah. And and then she tells us about coming over here. And I asked her, I go, you know, what is it like, you know, if you feel um growing up in that in that kind of environment that for all intents and purposes is very suppressed, right? In terms of access to different things in the internet and learning different stuff. Um, and she's you know, she said it. She's like it, it, it's It forces you to be creative you know and and it it makes me think about like you said that a lot of people who do uh amazing things out of the continent of africa that that that, like you said are very limited on resources but the creativity the knowledge the intelligence is all there it's just a matter of figuring out ways to get it out to the you know to the greater the greater world and it's it's almost sad to say like we're like shocked you know like oh my god like look at this coming out of Uganda. It's like, yeah, but it was always there. They just, you know, the, the radio was broken, you know, <laughs> like they just couldn't get it out. Um, and now you have uh, different things that are, they're really kind of helping that along and that are really kind of great. You know, to say that you're getting access to different things that ordinarily never would have coming from there.
1: Yeah. It's, it really is amazing. And I love their, their solution for distribution because they don't really have like, they have very limited access to the internet. Mm. Um, uh, but they they so the actors work for free, and then in order to sell the projects, they they make DVDs and the actors get DVDs and they have to go around like basically door to door into markets and sell their film, and then they get a profit of the proceeds of selling their DVDs. So they act and then they become like door to door salespeople, <laughs> um, which I, I think we should start that in in the bit. You know, like. All over the place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if Scarlett Johansson knocked on my door to sell me some movie she just did. You know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, and, and to be fair, it's, it's probably how it works. I mean, I'm just, uh, it, it's, it's basically how it works now. You know, yeah. they make the films and they go on the talk shows and, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The press junkets and stuff like that. So it's, it's funny. You call it a different thing, but in reality, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. So also, the um, one that I came across that I wanted to learn more about was Running America 08. So tell me what was that project like?
1: Yeah, Running America 08 was uh was my first uh feature documentary. And uh it was a story of of two guys, um, Charlie Engel and Marshall Ulrich, and uh they were trying to break the Trans America uh, record for um you know basically running across the country. Oh wow. And um uh so it was it was it was basically like road tripping across America at 6 miles an hour cuz that's sort of how <laughs> fast they were going right, right. Um, but it was it was an amazing experience cuz it was also a uh, an election year so i was um, and the, the economy was like incredibly it was just like tanking mm. and uh, we did you know not only did we film them running across America which was inspirational uh, enough right. we also interviewed about 150 people and about what they, you know, how they felt about America. So it, it's a fun little documentary, and, and it's probably at this point a little nostalgic. Um, but uh, but it, and it, it kind of renewed my my faith in, in the country, uh, which I could sort of say now because I think everyone's sort of losing their faith in the country. Um, but uh, when you do when you do travel across America and you and you meet so many people just mm-hmm. like on, by the side of the road, which is essentially right. what happened, and uh, and talk to them, it, it's uh, it definitely um, renews
0: your, your faith. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, all my automatically when you said it, what I thought of, and I'm sure a lot of people do, uh, was the scene. Oh, not scene, but the portion of Forrest Gump. You know, where he just mm-hmm. starts exactly like that, running across America, and and like you said, how how a guy who just you know, I'm just running, you know, and just all of a sudden had like a swarm of people and all this national attention because you know it is kind of inspiring you know that that you're doing this thing that is is dangerous is um you know for the reasons you're doing it that's what everyone wants to know you know when they when they see yourself putting yourself through all that torture um so that's pretty great i'll definitely check that out Yeah. yeah and and just
1: on that um same note is um i just got put on to a project um uh, that's basically about a woman who's running across America named Kayla and uh oh, wow. so that should be should be happening this summer she's a school teacher in New York and uh she's trying to break the uh the the female record for for running across america so we'll see what that happens i mean wow. it's the train the training for it is so intense that
0: uh you know so we'll we'll see yeah there was um how long what is the record now
1: uh i am f- not entirely sure um but it's around f- Forty-six days, I think, mm-hmm. for, for the female record. Um, I think the men's record is uh, thirty-nine days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean, they're they're running basically three marathons a day.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. Um. So it's it's a that's a that's a whole long conversation,
0: and so yeah, no, for sure. So you said Running America 08 was your first uh, feature uh, documentary. When did you kind of get into documentaries workwise? I started. Uh, working in news, actually,
1: and so that was you know that was really I think the beginning. Like at that point, I've been writing screenplays and you know getting a lot of rejection letters, and um, and uh, so I got a job at an Italian company called uh, uh, Rai, uh, and for specifically for a, a television station called Rai News 24 which is like the CN or it's like the MSNBC of, of Italy. It was like very very liber- liberal, liberal uh, twenty uh, four hour news station. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like shooting, we had to produce, I was producing and shooting about 10 minutes of material a day in New York City. Uh, it, was, it was really intense. We'd go live at eight o'clock and we'd you know, hand off footage to the editor all day and then you know, we'd hit send uh, at 8 p.m. and uh, it would start playing uh, you know, uh, in Italy. I mean, back then it was like in the middle of the night so the pressure wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would essentially like, cycle all day in, uh, wow. in Italy.
0: That's cool. Yeah. So you got your start in the, in the Italian market in a sense, huh?
1: Yeah. It was it was a fun company. It was like nothing got done until about like an hour before things went live. And then it was like somebody kicked a hornet's nest and then it's like yeah. all these Italians you know, like yelling at everybody. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I remember went to um I went to Barcelona I was in college and you know, they have the, you know, siestas there, you know, and, and everything closes around lunchtime. People go home and, and take naps and then come back. And, and at first I thought, oh man, that's kind of, that's, you know, how does anything get done? You know, and then literally we realized that it was horrible. I couldn't hang, but we'd go out drinking every single night until three, four or five in the morning. And what's, what was, I thought really funny was in the States, if you come home at three, four or five in the morning and you're drunk, like it's some sketchy shit. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: when we'd go come home then it was like, it was 10 o'clock in a normal city, you know, so lit up. So people walking around, it, nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. Um, And, and it was, it, to me, it was like, it was like kind of like, I was taking aback. back you know, I was like, wow, this is, no wonder they take naps in the middle of the day <laughs> because this is like a fucking Tuesday and we're out till 5am and I'm like dying the next day. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of crazy. So good life, yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, for a majority of people, um, they see documentaries as like long-term personal projects, right? Because they demand so much time and so much effort that monetarily, uh, they don't ever make much sense. So, is is that? I mean, is that kind of? I can imagine though, when you get to a certain level uh, and you're talking, you know, feature uh, documentaries on hope that you could at first kind of sell the idea to a company and they would kind of help, uh, you know, fund it and push it along. Is that the case or is it still like, you know, you you take on whatever you think is interesting and you figure it out afterward?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changing. Uh, I think that documentaries used to be this like sacrificial thing like you just right. did because you needed to get some story out or uh, and that, and that's actually kind of flipped because uh, there is people realized that you could you could actually make pretty good money with a documentary and you could make it for a lot less money than you could a narrative feature right. um, and you didn't need a script I mean sort of like the reality television thing mm-hmm. um, so all of a sudden you started getting paid more for documentaries than you did for a feature film. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like the subject matter was a lot more interesting um, because, you know, you're dealing with like real people and it was exciting and you were, you know, the people were unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't like trying to shoot some horrible script that somebody wrote. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like really, that's going to
0: be, that's going to be hard. You know, yeah. It's,
1: imagine. it's, 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 it's really hard. And, and it's, it's really 90 five percent of the industry and right. so it's it's a tough it's a tough thing recently,
0: um like it's soul-crushing work because someone else down the line kind of dropped the ball in a sense right
1: yeah i mean it's like my advice to any uh filmmakers out there that are are starting out it's just you know don't write two drafts of your script and then go try to make it um mm-hmm. it's it's like you you know you really have to you know, vet your script and, and get feedback and, and, uh, because you're, you're going to invest so much money, but also like everybody's time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and no, if once you show up on set with a script, no one's going to tell you your script sucks. They're all going to tell you that your script's the most amazing thing ever. And they're right. excited to work on it because it's their job to like, yeah, so, yeah, um, you up a little bit. Yeah. So, um, but you know, and I, I really, I love this new direction with, uh, with documentaries. Uh, and, and I think there is a, a a real strong intersection with brands and documentary. I I know there was, um, you know, there was a great, uh, documentary that Hennessy sponsored on, uh, the musician Nas, um, you know, that was a real passion project for them. Uh, I don't drink cognac and i actually don't drink any alcohol so but i i was i, I thought that was a great documentary and and I, I was I was happy that they uh they put money into that and um uh there was a great documentary that uh Tribeca film produced that uh dick sporting goods uh basically put the money for called um, when we will be kings, I think it was. And it was about the, the high school football in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Um, I saw that. that was
1: great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like I was I was like laughing and crying. I was yeah. like standing up in my seat. It was just, you know, and they, they really caught, caught lightning in a bottle. Um, mm-hmm. but that was that was a real generous moment for a brand. And you know, obviously that's their you know, these athletes are, are their customers too. And mm-hmm. so like if high school athletics disappears, then they're, they're, their business is going to be hurt. But I, I did think that it was really a, a passion project for them and, and they re- wanted to give back to, to, uh, to you know, to tell their story about, uh, this, you know, high schools in America and, and their, you know,
0: ever cutting, uh, you know, ever
1: diminishing budgets mm-hmm. for sports.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you figure, like, even in college, right, when when teams win the whole thing, I mean, the influx of money is insane from, you know, uh, all different avenues. And you could say, okay, when you win a big championship, it's millions of dollars being pumped back into the school. Um, but at the same time, that's, you know, what, the top 1% of any program of any in any uh, college or high school across the country. So you sit there and say, well, what happens to the rest of the guys? You know, and, and you said it. I mean, they... A lot of times, especially in high school, I mean, budgets are getting cut all the time, and a lot of times it's it's the arts that get cut because the sports hopefully bring in people. Um, but if the sport teams suck, then <laughs> you're in a shitty position there too. Yeah, and then it's just a great outlet
1: for for kids. And and um, uh, my father was a coach actually, and, oh, and nice. uh, he's he's semi-retired. He actually retired and then got so bored he went back to coaching. <laughs> but he, um, you know, he really. You know he wants to win, but he's he's really um, he he makes a real big point of just like any kid that's on his team is going to get a lot of playing time and a lot of attention because he's like he doesn't see it as like you know the end is not necessarily to win but to participate and and that's what and that's how everybody wins yeah um so it's it's a you know it's definitely a good thing
0: yeah and then that was see, a tangent yeah no no but it's true yeah. I mean, you figure like um like uh it, it sounds so corny but I used to love like Friday Night Lights you know. Mm-hmm. And and the the book was really good, and then the, the movie, and then the show. And on the show, it was you know um, what is it, full hearts, clear eyes, you know, can't lose kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's true. I mean, people don't realize the amount of um uh, the amount of like impressions a high school like sports co- coach has on on a young person,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and and what that can do for your life, you know, kind of down the line. And you said it. I mean. You think of like uh, professional sports, right? That when you have the high draft picks and they are big, you know, they're a big bust. Then all of a sudden you have the guy who no one gave a shot, you know, who maybe wasn't even drafted. It was a walk on whatever, who suddenly just comes in and kills it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I like, people would say, Oh, people would argue with your father's way of doing it. It's like, Oh, it's too, you know, it's too liberal too feel good, you know, bleeding heart liberal kind of thing. And it's like, no, you never know who, Maybe has not gotten enough attention, enough time, and was putting in the work that no one ever saw, and suddenly given the opportunity, just kind of kills it, you know. Um, but you never would have known that unless you uh, were had that kind of mentality, you know, where you kind of yeah. gave everyone a chance. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of documentaries, I know you've done your share of TV, uh, documentary, and, and feature film work. Is there any kind of favorites to stand out to you?
1: You know, there's not really. I don't really differentiate between docs and, and narrative. I mean, because sometimes I'll shoot a, a narrative that's scripted and I'll shoot a doc style and and sometimes, you know, we shoot these like docs, like this huge production value and dollies mm-hmm. and um, I think what's really important is what the subject matter is. Um, and, and I think that that's really what attracts me to anything mm-hmm. um, is just really interesting subject matter that's like going to... You know, push things forward in the world. Um, you know, there's there's just so much stuff that's like derivative, or uh, you know, everybody's just trying to jump on something. Um, so it can be a little frustrating right. with with projects out there. And I think that you know, the 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 luck that I want to put out into that world is that these really interesting projects, you know, come to me that are you know, and it doesn't matter if they're doc or TV or narrative. Um, you know, TV is actually a wonderful medium for, for cinematographers because it, it gives sort of gives us more steady work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I, I, know I've enjoyed that it's, it's, um, you know, but, but, you know, docs, docs too, can be, can be really great that way where it's, uh, it's, you know, you can work on a project for, for a couple of years and it's just, you, you know, you keep, um, I actually had shot one documentary, um, that, uh, was a passion project. Uh, it was called Awakening, and it was just someone who wanted to interview, um, kind of like spiritual people, hmm. um, and you know I think it was it was sort of her part, part of about her own growth hmm. as a person, um, for her own healing. Um, but we ended up like it was like two or three years of just like traveling around the country, like meeting. People that were for, of different spiritual persuasions, was, you know, she wanted as much as, as everything. But and that was, you know, that's the kind of project that's just like wonderful to be on because yeah. it's, it becomes so much more than what you're filming or it, it's, it's it's what you're filming is an you know, important thing.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, I think that's and a lot of people can, can attest to that, like you said, to, to docs and that kind of thing is that is that that's the freedom you get. You know is that if if possible, whether it's you spearheading the whole thing or you becoming a part of it because you believe in it um but I feel like no one really works on documentaries who's not a hundred percent into it and I, mm-hmm. you know I, yeah. I don't you know I don't think that that's that's even possible, you know yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean one kind of sad thing about docs is that you know over the overall the doc work I've done, like all the subjects. You know, you develop this like really strong bond because you know you're you're in this small room with them, you know, doing stuff, and like especially like I've done a lot of. Um work with with children mm-hmm. in docs and um you know uh, yeah, i did a lot of work with, with with medical especially um you know one i've done a couple of, uh, commercials for children's hospitals and uh and then also uh, i work with a, a group called angel light and they uh, do films with kids with that have uh, brain tumors mm. so we'll basically you know go to them and, and say you know what what kind of film do you want to make like what do you want to do and we'll just kind of you know, help them direct this film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I've shot like, uh, many of those and, and, uh, I, when I bring it up is that it, it's actually kind of, you know, you, you work with them and then it, but it's, you can't really keep a, you know, you can't really keep in touch with them. It's like so hard. Cause there's like, you work on so many of them. And then, so there's a, there's a lot of like special bonds that I feel that, that, uh, that, particularly in documentaries that, I, that I've made that, you know, they're kind of like frozen in time. And I, I you know, I, 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 I still think about all those people all the time and wonder how they're doing. And um, so it, it's, uh, it's you know, it's kind of tough that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you said it, I mean, it, it's it's when you do that kind of work, it involves so much uh, from you emotionally and and as well as professionally that, uh, and not to say it never happens with feature films, that kind of thing, but yeah, I feel like you said it. If you all come together and you're kind of like a bunch of all-stars, you know, And, and you don't really mesh well, eh, there's not going to be a lot of profound emotional experience there. However, when it's a a documentary and everyone's on board with, with the material and direction and vision for it, it definitely lends itself to, to be, um, you know, very life profound.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, So many times, I mean, you're coming into people's apartments and their houses and they're, you know, they're hosting you. They're like, oh, do you want something to drink? And so it really does become like a a much different experience.
0: Right, right. So what do you say is like the biggest thing you've got in the pipeline uh, that you can talk about going on?
1: Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think there's like a, a couple of things. Um, one is that in, in April, I'm attached to a, a documentary, or sorry, not documentary, um, a documentary, uh, a feature film that uh, this producer I've worked with a lot, the, the same producer that produced uh, Wakaliwood. Mm. Um, he, he's 80 years old, and uh, he's decided to direct his first narrative film. Wow. Um, so, yeah that's going to be an interesting experience. Um, uh, and I'm nervous about it in some ways. And and also I think, you know, it'd be great to work with, uh, with, with somebody, his name is Ben Baranolts. And, you know, he's, he's been in the film industry, um, for so many, so many years. Um, you know, he, he actually started, uh, the, the sort of midnight film at the Elgin, which is like, so he was doing these like exper- you know, kind of art experimental films, and Yoko Ono and, and John Lennon were like lining up at midnight to go see these movies. Um, wow. And then he discovered David Lynch, and um, he uh, you know he's worked with you know the Coen Brothers for many many years, and with uh, Darren Aronofsky, and so he's he's a really uh, really interesting guy. Wow, that's and, awesome. Um, the director that I work with uh, the most, his name is uh, J.C. Corey, and he directed the, the romantic comedy The Pill mm-hmm. and uh, a film called All Relative uh, that I, I shot both of those. And um, he's uh, he's got a, a sci-fi project that he's uh, working on that uh, I'm really cool. excited about. Um, and uh, my... Uh, my producer partner is uh is working on a, on a another kind of sci-fi concept called um it's like that actually I can't really talk about because it's sure. it's kind of a specific thing but yeah. um but I'm looking forward to that as well nice
0: and i know you said you're a little nervous i mean but you have worked with that guy before you know so it's kind of like i've worked with him a lot i i, I say i'm nervous because it's
1: it, it's it's gonna be a very very different workflow because he is oh, he is 80 okay. he's he's 80 years old so you know it's it's these are these are he's you know he's got incredible stamina we, you know we call him the Russian bear um <laughs> but he's you know it's it's still it's these are 13 14 hour days right. um so uh you know so it's just you know it, it's just to see where that that you know and it's also his it's his directorial debut he's never oh, wow. directed it, there it before so um, you know, so it, it's it'll it'll be an interesting uh experience.
0: Nice. All right. We'll definitely have to uh have to be uh kept a, abreast about that and see what's going on. So I know you mentioned a few um already. Are there any other kind of like personal projects that you've been working on uh right now? Good question.
1: Um I mean I, I try to make everything personal. Yeah. Um uh you know, I, I said like one of my dreams is someday to make uh a movie that's uh I you know I've written a, a a script called uh Magnifico, which is uh a a feature film based on the life of Lorenzo de' Medici. Mm-hmm. And um it's not the kind of personal project that you can sort of just like self-fund.
0: Right. right. <laughs> um
1: but uh I just for some reason um i I've always wanted i i i just you know I wrote the script, and i'm a cinematographer, so I've sort of visualized the entire film and uh it's just it's you know sort of dying to see that happen um I think that's less of a it's like more of a dream project as opposed to a personal project right um and uh, what else i think yeah, i think that's it,
0: all right that sounds pretty neat i mean and and like you said it andreas it's it's that Anything that you you kind of really are on board for, it can kind of feel like a personal project um, because of the, the time you put into it and the um, you know the uh, hope you know that it, that you that you put into it that it will become something great. Um, so let's see. What, what do you think is the biggest? These last couple questions. Just to let you know we're gonna go we're gonna go pretty deep. Right. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so what do you think is the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career?
1: I mean, I know this is more of a. Uh, I mean, I think there's there's some interesting. I think going to Uganda on you know just without any preparation mm-hmm. and and shooting in the slums there was probably the biggest risk in terms of like my well being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that that's a quite the question is more of like a a risk in terms of. Um, like a creative risk, but yeah. uh, I think, and I, but I think even creatively, um, you know, as I went there. You know, we shot with a, a Canon digital SLR, and um, you know, just being so far away from from the usual support that you you'd get in a documentary. And I was also doing the sound myself, so oh, wow. it was just kind of this, like, you know, I was the only. It was me, camera and sound, and and there were there were two producers, a director and a producer. So I was the only one there with like you know, it was connected to like sort of the ingesting or everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that was probably like the, the, the riskiest, um, project. Um, but you know, that said, I I think that, you know, that, 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 you know, every decision that I try to make creatively is, is a risky one. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's what, that's, what's exciting about creativity is that, you know, you're always trying to, um, Discover something you're always trying to, and, and I'm particularly, I, I'll push myself. Like, I don't really like to do, like, oh, I did that before. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I always want to learn. And, and it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm actually very new in the industry, I think, like, mm-hmm. compared to like a lot of DP So I'm always trying to like figure out a way to learn more because I'm, I'm only maybe, you know, 30, 40%, or who knows like how, how much more I have to, to learn mm-hmm. a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, so I really try to put myself, I always try to put myself out of my comfort zone. And, and so like every, everything is always like, I'm not really sure I can do this, but you know, you you just want to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing for a lot of artists is, you know, we all hate complacency. Right. And we all hate to think that we're just resting on our laurels. Um, But it's, it's another thing entirely to say, well, even when I feel comfortable, I'm going to keep pushing to make myself uncomfortable, to in in, in an effort to uh, to just get better. And and it was interesting when we were in Vegas, we spoke with a good friend of mine. This guy Zach Sutton, he's a still photographer uh, who does a lot of you know great work, uh, more like commercial kind of style. And he he was doing a lot with like uh, pro photo and, and doing a lot of um, you know workshops that kind of thing with a lot of big sponsors. And one thing that he was doing all the while is he would keep moving markets. So he originally is from Michigan outside Kalamazoo. So he worked there for a bunch of years and then said, all right, I'm going to just pick up and go. And he went, he moved to, um, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And actually the funny thing was it kind of coincided with the whole breaking bad thing. So it was interesting for him to see the influx of all that, um, you know, production and all that kind of value in the city. So he was there for three years and then recently last year just relocated to LA. So one of the things I asked him, I go, you know, that's pretty crazy. And he goes, yeah, I goes, it sucks because to say that I was really hitting my stride in New Mexico, he's like, I was literally shooting client work, maybe five, six days a week, easy. And, and it was, it was, I was starting to get into the kind of flow of things and then he and I go okay. Then why the hell did you just say you're gonna up and move to a whole new market? And and it, to him. It was just that was it. It was to feel like okay, if I'm getting pretty good and I'm getting in a in a good place, well, maybe that's gonna be the beginning of me feeling stagnant. It's mm-hmm. like, so I had to. I just felt like I had to move out here and and just see what I can do. And in a sense, kind of he has to again, like you know, you can appreciate has to kind of reinvent himself in that market as well um so you know I, I had to respect him for that you know i told him i was like shit man like some people you never want to be um and there's nothing wrong to say like people who are just regionally very popular and stay that way you know like the, being the biggest guy in you know say uh, your small town is not a bad thing but you always kind of want to feel like you can still travel and get work elsewhere you know um, so to me, I was like, that's pretty crazy to say that it, for him, it was just like, no, it's just, I always want to be in a different market and and be testing myself and pushing myself.
1: Yeah, I think that's really smart.
0: Yeah. And it, like you said, it, 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 like you said, it, it definitely makes you and forces you. Cause it, it, the big thing for him is now he's saying, okay, the, a lot of the stuff here is shot in more of a lifestyle type, type way all right, well then now it, it's forcing him to say, am I going to re-envision my whole book? Am I going to maybe just change the style of the way I shoot and, and still keep it very me, but, but a little more on the lifestyle side. Um, so cause a lot of his stuff is lit on location. So you can, I guess you can describe it as a lot of his work is feature film work and he's going to have to go more in the direction of doc work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In that it's a little more, um, uh, naturally lit a little more um you know run and gun type stuff so it's pretty interesting you know and and hearing that made me kind of think of that you know he was he's a very kind of he's a funny guy he is uh someone that a lot of people know and, and respect but it's funny how when he started saying this stuff i've known him for eight years never knew half of this stuff about him mm-hmm. that he uh you know is kind of a little more than than meets the eye kind of
1: yeah. And it brings up a point. I mean, I do think it's, it's really important and also really challenging to constantly reinvent yourself because, yeah. you know, the forces are all against that. Like everybody wants to put you in like, oh, this guy does that. He's the guy that does that. And uh, so, I mean, it, it, bringing, being able to like move locations is actually a, a really great way to kind of reset everything and, and, and give yourself a, a blank slate to, to kind of, Go in go in the direction that you want to go in,
0: right? I mean, when you think about it, for me, I I used to I I growing up, I went to a lot of different schools, right? And it wasn't until probably eighth or ninth grade that I realized how cool that was. You know, I guess in some sense of the word, I would I would not make a lot of friends because in my head, oh, we're just gonna, I'm just going to switch schools again anyway. What's the big deal? Um, but then it wasn't until a friend of mine came to the school. Um, That I was at, and I was helping showing him around. Then I realized that I, and, and if you remember, like going to school, it was a very finite window, very small window, but you were, you were the mysterious new guy. Right, <laughs> you right. Know what I mean, like, and like you said, you could, in a sense, reinvent yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you can make up all these bar fight stories, you, you know, you're in whatever, and people go, oh my God, you know, like, because no yeah. one knew anything about you. Uh, so if you look at it kind of that way, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful to say, okay, I'm going to be the new guy in town and I am whatever I want to be, you know? And as far as you guys are concerned, that's me, you know, it's cause you don't know me, you know? Right. Uh, so that's pretty neat. It's like the Groundhog day, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what would you say is your biggest fear creatively?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think the biggest fear creatively is kind of what we've been talking about is, is um, you know, not to, to, when you suddenly can't discover anymore. Where you suddenly you, you get complacent and you mm-hmm. stop innovating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's my biggest fear, uh, and and it, it actually uh, it's probably a, a kind of rational fear in a way because it, it does happen a lot. Like you, you know, you it, you can get jaded very very quickly. Oh yeah. Um and you know and it's kind of like the industry itself. it's like everyone just complains a lot, and you know it's like you know you you, you want to get an agent and then you you finally get an agent, and then you know you first day you just start complaining about how crappy your agent is, and <laughs> you know you want to get into the union, and then it's like you get into the union, and then like I swear I've never heard anybody not complain about the union, right. but then everyone's like desperate to get into the union, and so it's kind of a weird business that way um and I really, really try to stay positive. I think one of the well, I actually another, you know, this is sort of the same thing, but like my, I think my greatest fear is to become bitter. And I, I think right. like yes. I sort of promised myself, um, when I decided to sort of pursue a life in film production that I would just like, no matter what happened, I would never be that guy, that bitter guy who's just yeah. like, oh it sucks. Like, you know, and and so I, you know, I just try to have fun and and uh And I I think that like, you know, putting yourself out there and constantly trying to, just constantly trying to, to learn. Yeah. It, it it just keeps everything fresh.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you, you, you you kind of said it where you never want to be bitter. And for me, uh, what that means is that like, you constantly have to keep perspective and say, if we're able to be fortunate and lucky enough to make a living in art, well then shit things could be a lot worse you know and it's and then you sit there and say well if you had to be just for the sake of a, a profession you know if you had to be an accountant every day and put on a suit and tie and go into your cubicle and, and punch numbers uh then you might be thinking, you know what my bullshit isn't that bad anymore
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny like i think one of uh the things that i've learned in the last couple of years is accounting because um, it's a really big part of being yeah. a DP <laughs> yeah. is like yeah. you, you know you, you've given a number and you got to you know balance you know your your budget and mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's 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 kind of you're like oh this is what like an accountant like it's not so bad
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we're gonna go we're gonna go next level deep here mm-hmm. all right name your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. I I think it was, it was probably last year. Um,
1: I shot, uh, my, my second film with J.C. Corey and, uh, the entire process was just great because it was our second film. We'd kind of like really kind of hit a stride and it was a fun romantic comedy with like a really lovely cast. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, we went and then i think the the, the meaningful moments were just we went you know kind of on this festival circuit and uh we were at the woodstock film festival and the austin film festival and and um you know a couple of screenings in new york and it was just the it was such a great experience like screening the movie and then the the q and as afterwards were just to, to be able to connect to the audience and you know and, and these were this was a romantic comedy you know we weren't like blowing anyone out of the water, but it was just like really wonderful to, to just get that sort of feedback and hear, hear what people thought and just, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, so I think that's probably was like the, the most meaningful moment so far. And I, I hope to, to do, to do that, um, more often. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that brings up something that I've always been very interested in, but knew nothing about. So you mentioned it working the festival circuit. Uh I know obviously you have to you have to uh send, you know, and submit different stuff. Uh now I'm I'm assuming does that kind of always kind of fall on the director in the in that in in the workflow of things?
1: Uh it's it's well, there's it's uh, so there's there's two answers to that. Um I think that it should be kind of a team effort. And mm-hmm. you know, if you if you you know go about creating the team around you. Intelligently, you're gonna find people that are going to be really eager to market the 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 work they're involved with, yeah. so you know the actors and and um you know the producers and you know and then it's you know it's the director um you know if it's a director producer, then you know that person um you know that said uh and that you know that's really important, but then the other level, which I think is becoming more and more reality uh is that when you you know you make your film and you have your budget. I think people, they put all the money into like the making of the film, right. you know, and I'm just like, you know, oh, you need to make sure that you leave money for, for after you've shot the film. And they're yeah. like, oh, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got, I've got lots of money for post-production. I'm like, no, no, I'm not talking about post-production. I'm talking about after you've edited the film yeah. because, you know, it's, it's so competitive that you, you really need to hire uh, somebody just to handle the festival, you yep relationships um you know and 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 you have to get a really good person to do that and it might cost you thirty thousand dollars but it's the difference of getting in or not getting in right um it it probably should be a much more democratic process Mm -hmm. um but the reality is if you're a director and you're calling up festivals and trying to get your film into festivals they're going to be like oh this is some director that's like trying to get his film out there um, they don't have a relationship with that person right. um, but if you have a festival person that's just all oh, their, their job is to like get films into film festivals they're gonna be like oh that's you know so and so like you mm-hmm. know we dealt with them with this film and that was right. a good film and, and so it's just it's, it's enormously important and, and um, you know I think that you know you know if you, you, you might even have like a, a two hundred thousand dollars film but you should have sixty thousand dollars just to use after you've edited mm-hmm. the movies right? to get out there and that's that sounds crazy to me even saying it um but i i think it, it could be the difference of of you know a, a great film getting a good a good position on the festival market um because it's enormously complex
0: yeah because you, you said it i mean it to me i always figured that because it's the same thing with photography right you can you can shoot the most amazing beautiful uh project right piece but if you don't market it who the hell is going to see it you know and and like you said some people unfortunately just look at it and go well we're going to we're going to make this thing so epic that it's not going to need you know um any kind of marketing and it's like eh. i think yeah, nowadays yeah. the only few things that that can even gl- come close to that kind of mentality are like all the comic book movies you know <laughs> that you're hearing leaked shit about them 3 years before they're even coming out you know and they're building all that buzz uh but beyond that like you said i mean i think when you have a project that maybe is smaller budget yeah a lot more of that budget should go towards um promoting it because you're going to have like you said you're going to have to it's so competitive um that you know that's why i think it's like you said especially with the festivals because that's where you find all the greatest movies that otherwise you wouldn't have heard of i mean not to put down i love all the marvel stuff but imagine if you you wouldn't see the avengers at a, at a festival you know what i mean like it's just it's just not the same
1: yeah, no, it's so true. And and I, I really think it's like one of that sort of greatest fallacies that, you know, you should make your movie and somehow like grassroots, it's going to like find its way to like yeah. Miramax. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's just not there. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's sad because I think there are a lot of tremendous efforts that have been made and probably a lot of like incredible masterpieces that are are sitting on someone's shelf because
0: it's like they just
1: ran out of money or you know just didn't weren't good at marketing
0: right right yeah so tell me what's the biggest regret in your career
1: um i probably one thing that I've been thinking about recently is uh, I shot a film called. Uh, well, I was brought on to uh, finish a film after the DP was fired called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was just a, an incredible experience uh, working on that that film that was directed by Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, after the film was, was edited, uh, I got a call from the PR, uh, company and they were like, you know, we want to, we're, we're, we're screening at the Toronto Film Festival and we want you to come up and, and, you know, be part of the festival. And I, I I wasn't like, I don't think I, I just, at that point I didn't really have a lot of money and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, I gotta like get tickets and go up there. And I I don't know. I just, I decided not to go. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and in retrospect, I, I'm just still kicking myself because right. uh, it, it just would have been so much fun, and it was such a great film. And you know, I don't, you know, I was, I was just, I don't know, I could have easily have, have done it. So I, I definitely regret um, not being involved with that. Um, and I, I kind of thought like, oh, you know, the, well, they'll just call me when it's at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. And of course they didn't. Cause I said no once and they were like, <laughs> not going to call me again. Um, right, right. so, you know, then it screened it like, tr- uh, Tribeca and I like didn't even know it. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, think like if you, if you, you know, you do get into a festival and it's, it's, that's like your, your reward for, you know, being involved in a film and, and, uh, to greet, you know, it's go out there and be honored and, you know, go to the Q and A's it's, it's, it's so much fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Uh, I'll be honest, when we just got back from WPPI, that was it for me. You know, that was when we went to uh, Photo Plus last year and kind of uh, launched this show. uh, The response we got from that was so overwhelming and set us up that we were recording, you know, three, four times a week since, you know. Um, And when the new year came around, I said to myself, "Okay, well, now we have to just realize that those kind of shows are going to be part of our circuit and part of our marketing. Um, you know, get access to the amazing people that are there, uh, you know, work with, you know, different uh, vendors and, and big manufacturers that go there um, in an effort to just, you know, make the show better and, and bigger and be able to get the best people on. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. When when this came, finally came around, I knew we were supposed to do it for months. But did I get the fucking tickets? No. <laughs> did I get the hotel? No. Yeah, the whole yeah. time I'm going ah, but I know the more I wait, the more expensive it's going to be. You know, I I just, Mm -hmm. and for me, like you said, it was, it was that risk where I sat there and said, okay, I know I have to do this, but I know I'm broke. So I'm like, shit, what do I do? You know? And, and it was just one of those things where I said, no, what, screw it. Just do however you have to, uh, whatever ways you can just get there and, and be able to really kind of, uh, like you said, enjoy the process, take it in, uh, be present, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, in an effort to, to really kind of drive it. And I think that's, you know, it's, like you said, that's, that's definitely necessary. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's so great to just get out there and, and, and mingle.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when you figure for a lot of us, and this is going to segue into the next to the last question, is, um, is how for a lot of us, we work in a vacuum. You know, and, mm-hmm. and you might even pull in different people in a project and, and and have that kind of, uh, um, you know, trade off. You know, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's um, it's tough because you sit there and say, oh, well, you talk to people on the phone or email or Facebook or social media. But the face to face stuff is what really is the most uh, impactful. Um, and when you go and, and be able to mingle and, and be able to do that, it, it definitely, it definitely works. So time for a deep one if you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still shoot?
1: I, I, you know, I don't think I would. Uh, it's so like shooting for me is, and you know, any kind of creativity is so much about connection. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. so much about relationships and about feelings and about emotion. And it's just, it's really like you share. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that if I shot stuff that no one would ever seen, um, you know i I definitely don't think I would do that I mean I might i you know I might do some shots just to like jog my memory you know or, but I, I think that if if i if I didn't have that audience, I think I would spend a little bit more time just being at one with the universe you know yeah. just like being in the moment more yeah, yeah. um there was a uh that was the movie with Ben stiller and um Sean Penn. Uh, oh,
0: uh, I just I just saw it the other day. I love that movie, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and there's that you know that great moment where he's like filming this like you know cat in the in, mm-hmm. the the, in like in the the, yeah. go, the ghost cat, you know. And, and so I feel like you know I, that all the time I, I've sort of taken that on. Like I'm like oh I should shoot that, and then I'm like no, I'm going to make that my ghost cat. And, yeah. and I, I think yeah. that I think if I couldn't share my work with anyone, I, I'd probably make the whole whole world, my ghost cat.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, let's be honest. I I watched that movie and I love Sean Penn as an actor, but him playing a photographer like that, you know, like this like Nat Geo type guy. I, I literally, I almost laughed at how much I, I felt like a hack, you know, (laughs) like, Oh man, I'm never that deep, about anything, fuck. (laughs)
1: But it's inspirational. you You know,
0: so, uh, you know, first of all, Andreas, thank you for taking the time out and, uh, and, and coming on the show um, and it was great to get to know you a little more uh, in depth from our uh, our first meeting at, at, with the Chimera article. Um, but where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do?
1: Um, so, I mean, I have a website. It's, um, you know my name.com, so com, mm-hmm. And uh then you'll you'll see the my totem my my crest on there. <laughs> um and uh and I'm um, you know I have a lot of stuff on Vimeo. Um my account on Vimeo is Craft Collective mm-hmm. and that's also the name of uh my production company, Craft mm-hmm. Collective Films and there's also craft collective dot com. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a name that's like does well on Google because it's yeah. like I think there's there's like one other guy out there named with the same name, which is kind right. of incredible. Yeah. That is like a blues artist. Oh, so wow.
0: Look at that. I um uh,
1: Yeah. Sometimes I pretend that I'm in that guy, too.
0: <laughs> so I make myself yeah. really deep. I was going to say, you definitely have a very superhero villain type name. <laughs> yes. It's pretty awesome. And with Vaughn in it, you're like, oh, shit, that's awesome. <laughs> Screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> So again, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, and last but not least, who is someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show?
1: You know, I I definitely have to say my wife, um, like she's, she's a poet and, um, she's like, you know, the real artist in the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I collaborate with her a lot. We, you know, we do these, um, uh, poetry films, which I think is like a new, new genre. Um, but uh, working with her, I'm you know I'm always like I, I probably learned so much from her just because you know she's she's like an artist and mm. um, you know the decisions she makes and the things she wants to do like I'm always like huh and then I'm like well, that's <laughs> you know that's amazing um, so just you know just has a, a, a you know a poet and it's like they're they're true artists and they really see the world so differently yeah. um, and so uh, you know I, I would I would love to to see her talk more about her work which um you know she's so passionate about and it's also one of those mediums that uh, mediums that don't really get enough uh enough credit um you know both yeah financially and um i mean i think they they used to it's it's sort of this you know we 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 definitely hold them with high regard but um we don't necessarily it
0: becomes a time to pull out your wallet yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so definitely i think she'll be great and what's her name
1: her name is Willa Carroll.
0: Willa Carroll. Okay. Yeah. All right. We are putting that on there. Sweet. Awesome. So obviously, as she is your wife, will, you will be the point of contact to help us uh, get that <laughs> one set it up schedule. for you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Well, listen again, Andreas, thank you for coming out and uh, you know talking today.
1: My pleasure. It was so great. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: No problem. Take care. Cool.